Good morning, let's begin. So today's daf is Lamed Beis. We're actually going to pick up from Lamed Aleph Amud Beis. Just uh, to reorient ourselves a little bit, let's actually go back a few lines. We're going to start 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 lines up from the bottom. So Amr Shmuel, we read this yesterday, but just because it's all part of the same sugya, it's easier to start from here. So Amr Shmuel, Chosam Shebekarka. Remember again, this is a case of where you're tying down, let's say, the lid of a pit or of a cistern uh, cave. You're tying it down to the ground. So the Shmuel says the halacha is matir avalomafkia. You can go ahead and untie the knot, but you may not unravel it. Velochotech, nor may you cut it. Why? Now Shmuel's logic is because since the rope is attached to the ground, what you do to the rope ultimately again could be an issue of binyan or stira. In this case, demolition. I think anything attached to the ground has the status of a structure to the of the ground as well. So therefore, Shmuel says that you could un, you could untie the you could untie the knot. It's not an issue of matir of untying since this is a knot that is omade that is meant to be untied, but you may not cut it or unravel it. And Shmuel says. And Shmuel says, Echad Shabbos v'echad Yom Tov. This is true on Shabbos as well as on Yom Tov. So the Gemara raises a kasha. Meisvei, the Gemara says, Meisvei, Chosama Shebekarka. When you have, again, the same case of these knots that are tied onto the ground. Ma, excuse me, Chosama Shebekarka. Matir avalomav kevelo chotech. You could go ahead and untie it, but you may not unravel it, nor may you cut the rope. Biyom Tov, excuse me, Biyom Tov, that's on Shabbos. But yet on Yom Tov, you are permitted to do all of these things. So both say, this seems to contradict what Shmuel just said, because Shmuel did not make a distinction between Shabbos and Yom Tov. And both for Shabbos and Yom Tov, Shmuel said that you could untie it, but you may not unravel, nor may you go ahead and cut the rope. So the Gemara says, whose opinion is reflected in the Brai? So how many? Rabbi Meir, he, this is Rabbi Meir, the Amar, that's Rabbi Meir of our Mishnah. And remember again what Rabbi Meir of our Mishnah said. Rabbi Meir was talking about the case of where the fruit was sealed up in a house with a brick wall. Again, the bricks were not cemented with each other, but a brick wall nevertheless. And Rabbi Meir felt that you permitted to remove the bricks in order to access the food. So we see that Rabbi Meir allows... Rabbi Meir allows for, for certain, for certain even, even dramatic activities for the sake of Ochel Nefesh. And the rabbis argue on Rabbi Meir. And I hold like the Rabbanon. Fine. So it says the Gemara, Do the Rabbanon argue with Rabbi Meir when it comes to the case of knots that are tied on the ground? Vatanya, we learned. Modim Chachamim Rabbi Meir Bechosama Shebekarga, but yet we learn that the Chachamim agree with Rabbi Meir when it comes to the knot, these particular knots to fasten things down to the ground. That's what Shabbos Matir Avalomafkia. That on Shabbos you're permitted to go ahead and untie it. However, you can't unravel it. Velochotich. Normally you cut the rope. Biyom Tov Matir Umafkia Vachotich. And yet on Yom Tov you are permitted to go ahead and what? You're permitted to go ahead and do all of these things. You can not only you know you not only unravel it, but you're Excuse me, not, not only untie it, but you could unravel it and cut it top of Lamed Beis. So also you see from here that the Rabbanon seem to be in absolute agreement with Rabbi Meir. So the Gemara says, Tana. He holds, like Shmuel holds, like this particular Tana. What does Tana say? This sign. Chosamos Shevekarka Matir Avalomavkia Velochotech. So this particular Tana said that if you have knots that are tied to the ground, you can untie them, but you may not unravel them, nor may you cut them. Echad Shabbos ve'echad Yom Tov. And that applies both on Shabbos as well as on Yom Tov. But again, if you have a rope tied around the utensil, 
Matir Abalomav Kiavalochotech. Then on Shabbos, you can go ahead and untie it, but you may not unravel it. Normally you cut it. However, be Yom Tov, Matir Umav Kiavachotech. But on Yom Tov itself, you would be permitted to go ahead and what? Untie, cut, and unravel, or untie, unravel, and cut. So we'll say, again, you see over here that Shmuel has, Shmuel has a brysa on which to base his opinion on. And in this particular brysa, we are mechalik. We, do make an, we, in fact, do make a distinction between what we do on Shabbos and what we do on Yom Tov. So you have now explained the first part. I but the seifa. Rashi points out over here. Tarats de lecharesha, de milsa de shmuel bechosama shevekarka de mesele haitana. So now you brought a proof to Shmuel's position. Fine. However, seifa kashia de amar shmuel v'shal kelim afilu b'shabes matir umafkia b'chodech v'haitana tani v'shal kelim b'shabes matir avalomafkia b'lochodech. So Rabbi says here is the issue. You you've now answered up the first case of un, of of the knots attached to the ground on Shabbos and Yom Tov. But there was a second case. The second case was, what happens if you have a rope tied around a clean? So remember, again, Shmuel holds that a rope tied around the clean can be untied, unraveled, and cut even on Shabbos. What was the logic there? Remember, we said this yesterday. The logic there was, thank you, the logic there was that Lemaisa, that Lemaisa, ein binyan ustira bekelen. There are no acts of building or demolition by utensils. Remember, the whole issue over here of cutting, unraveling, untying a rope is an issue of soser, an issue of demolition. You are undoing something. But that issue of demolition only applies to what? Mm-hmm. Something that's attached to the ground. Shmuel, therefore, said when it comes to, let's say, a rope tied around the utensil, you could do whatever you want with that rope. And yet, and yet, what did the Brysa say? The Brysa, the Brysa ever did not agree with this position, to which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Her money, whose opinion is reflected here? Whose opinion is reflected? So again, both say the Brisa said that with a clean b'shabis matir avalomav kiavalochotech beyond tovachis. Remember, where Shmuel allowed for the untying, unraveling, and cutting of the rope around the utensil, both on Shabbos and Yom Tov, the Brisa only allows those activities on Yom Tov. But on Shabbos, all you're permitted to do is untie. So the Gemara says, so whose opinion is this? Hamani, Rabbi Nechemihi. Oh, I'll tell you whose 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 opinion is this. Rabbi Dechemio. The boss said, look at Rashi just a moment. Haman Rabbi Dechemihi. Kilamra the Olam Mutulaf Kiavalachtoch. Dein Ba Mishum Stiram. In reality, you are permitted to go ahead and untie, unravel, and cut the rope even on Shabbos. Even on Shabbos, it, right? Because again, there's no stir, there's no demolition. Ulahai Tano Gufei, Im Yacholahaf Kia Ulanatik Piado Shari. Behuda Kaasim Mishum Tiltal Sakin Kaasar. Rabbi Nechemi, said, listen to this. So the Gemara now is suggesting that the reason that the Braisa does not allow you to untie or to unravel, excuse me, to unravel or to, to cut the rope on Shabbos is because to unravel or to cut a rope, you require what? You require a knife. You require a knife. And this Braisa is reflective of the view of Rabbi Nechemia. What does Rabbi Nechemia say? Rabbi said, this will take us back to our, to our Shabbos days. The Amr Rabbi Nehemiah holds that Lamaisa, a utensil, can only be moved for a specifically designated purpose. So what purpose does a knife have on Shabbos? Right? Cutting food. 
and therefore the act of cutting or unraveling a rope is considered to be an unnecessary or inappropriate usage of the clay. And therefore, Rabbi Nechemi has a very restrictive view of muktzah. He holds that now you can only move it for a specifically designated purpose. That's why the Gemara is suggesting that the b'raisa that says that on Shabbos you may not go ahead and unravel or cut the rope around the utensil is reflective of the view of Rabbi Nechemia. It has nothing to do with the rope in reality. It has nothing to do with an issue of stir of demolition. It has to do with an issue of muktzah, that you cannot, according to Rabbi Nechemia, move a knife for this particular purpose. So the Gemara says, one second, I Rabbi Nechemia might your Shabbos, I feel Yom Tov Nami. The Rebbe said, the Gemara says, that doesn't make sense, well, not that it doesn't make sense, but then there's a kasha. Because what did the Brises say? When can't you unravel or cut the rope on Shabbos? But the price allows you to do it on Yom Tov. So the Gemara says, if you're telling me that this is the position of Rabbi Nechemia, Rabbi said Rabbi Nechemia's view would apply the same way on Shabbos and Yom Tov, in which the case, the same way that he restricts you from moving the knife to unravel or cut the rope on Shabbos, he would also restrict you from, from moving the knife to unravel or cut the rope on Yom Tov as well. And yet, and yet, the Brisa makes a distinction between Shabbos and Yom Tov. The Brisa said that unraveling and cutting is asr on Yom Tov, excuse me, on Shabbos, but permitted on Yom Tov. Maybe you'll say that Rabbi Nechemia holds that there's a difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov, literally resting on Shabbos versus resting on Yom Tov. Meaning maybe you'll tell me that Rabbi Nechemia has different standards of muktzah by Yom Tov than he does by Shabbos. Suppose I, again, that's not a crazy thing to say, because at the end of the day, we know that there are certain built-in differences between Shabbos and Yom Tov. Rabbi, maybe Rabbi Nechemia only holds this strict view of Muktzah by Yom Tov, but not by Shabbos, to which the Gemara says, um, shanyale, but it's actually that Rabbi Nechemia make a distinction between Shabbos and Yom Tov. But Tani, we learned, Vahatani Chada, Masikin Kelim, Masikin Kelim, Ve'in Masikin Meshivre Kelim. So we'll say, now the Gemara is going to call three Brysos. But yet we learned, we learned in one b'raisa, that what? You can go ahead and on Yom Tov, you could burn utensils, but you may not burn broken utensils. Now both sides, the assumption over here, if you look at Rashi, Masik and Kalim, Rashi says, That if I want to take a utensil that is perfectly permitted for use on, on Yom Tov, and I want to use it as fuel for a fire, I have that right to do that. However, you may not fuel your fire with broken utensils. Now, the assumption over here is what kind of shiver killing we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Utensils that broke on Yom Tov. So, meaning I can't use those. Why? Because now, effectively, those are muktza. Those are muktza. Because they were not fit for fuel at the time of the onset of Yom Tov. And therefore, they're muktza. Fine. That's b'risa one. Tanya idach, second b'risa. Masikin bein mekelim bein b'shiver kelim. Second b'risa says that, well, no, you could fuel a fire both with utensils as well as with broken utensils. Okay. Now, I've also the assumption is that the Tana of that particular b'risa just has a very relaxed view of muktza, and therefore allows it to use everything. The Tanya idach and a third b'risa said, "Ain masik and lo bekelim, lo kelim." And I've also only only we have these kind of teachings, right? And, and the third b'risa says that what you may not use either. You may not use whole utensils or broken utensils for fuel for the fire. And the Gemara says, "Umishani lo kasha." They're not contradicting each other. There are three different opinions. Harabi Yehuda, Harabi Shimon, Harabi Nechemia. To which the Gemara says three different opinions. The first price that says that you can use whole kalim, but you can't use broken kalim. That's Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda takes a stricter view of Moktzah, and therefore he says you can't use the broken kalim for fuel. Why? Because Lamai said they were not they were not usable for fuel at the onset 
of Yom Tov, and therefore they're Mokta. Second Bryce that says you can use both is Rabbi Shimon. <laughs> Rabbi Shimon takes the relaxed view of Mokta, and therefore says even broken utensils you can go ahead and use. And the third, and the third opinion that says you may not use either is who? Is Rabbi Nechemia. And Rabbi Nechemia Rabbosai holds that what? That Lenaisa, you may not move a utensil for any other reason other than its primary designated use, which utensils is not for fire, it's for what? It's to, I don't know, to hold something, to store something. So therefore, I will say, what do you see from here? You see from here that even on Yom Tov, Rabbi Nechemia is of the opinion that what? That a utensil may not be moved for its non-primary purpose. This, therefore, refutes what we just said before. So we want, remember, we're trying to find the author of the Braisa. And the author of the Braisa said, the author of the Braisa said that on Yom Tov, if you have, or I should say, if you have a kli, if you have a utensil that's tied, that's, let's say, closed, it's tied, the opening is tied by a rope, it's, it's, it's sealed off by a rope. So the Braisa said that on Shabbos, you may untie it, but you may not unravel or cut. On Yom Tov, you may unravel and cut. You may unravel and cut. So the Gemara wanted to suggest that, remember, who is, who is that, who, whose opinion is that? That's Rabbi Nechemia. That's Rabbi Nechemia. Right, going back to the previous, that's Rabbi Nechemia. And I, what's the issue? The issue is not one of stira, not one of demolition, but rather one of, of transporting a utensil for its time primary purpose. And the Gemara was suggesting that perhaps Rabbi Nechemia has a difference of opinion by Shabbos and Yom Tov. By Shabbos, he's stricter, and therefore does not allow you to move the knife for its non-primary purpose of unraveling or cutting the rope, but a Yom Tov, he would, he would allow it. Now we just see from the Bryce that just quoted that Rabbi Nechemia holds to his guns, he holds to his position both by Shabbos and by Yom Tov and holds the same way that both on Shabbos and Yom Tov you may not move a utensil for its non-primary purpose, which then leads us back to square one, who is the, who is the author of the Bryce saw? To which the Gemara answers, In reality, Rabbi say there are, there is a machlokas. There's a dispute about what Rabbi Nechemia, what Rabbi Nechemia holds. According to one approach, Rabbi Nechemia holds the same position by Shabbos and Mayom Tov and holds that a utensil may not be moved for any other reason other than its primary designated purpose. That's one approach. And the other opinion of Rabbi Nechemia, meaning the other, the other view of Rabbi Nechemia's opinion, is that in fact he does make a distinction between Shabbos and Yom Tov, and would allow you to move the knife even for its non-primary purpose on Yom Tov, which would then, and therefore again, the view in the price would be reflective of this second view of Rabbi Nechemia. Okay. One of his views is like is like Shmuel. Correct. Correct. Or that Shmuel's view is reflected in the price as well. Correct. Says the Mishnah. Says the Mishnah. Ein pocha sin esaner another very interesting case. You may not go ahead. Look, look at Rashi for just a moment. Eight pokas in literally means you may not hollow out a candle. Now, what does that mean? Look at Rashi. In pokas in asaner, little echad mina beitzim shel yotzer. You can't. Now, I will say what this literally means is you can't take one of the eggs of a craftsman. Belitchov egrofo lusocho lach kok ner. So, I will say, listen to this. Now, what does it mean? The eggs. It doesn't mean the egg. What it means is that craftsmen used to go ahead and have. Balls of clay, dead balls of clay. They call it. They call those beitzim. So they would take these balls of clay. They had like ready-made balls of clay, and that's what they would fashion. So we'll say a nair. A nair literally is not like a candle, but rather again as a receptacle. Is a receptacle for a little bit of oil and the wick, right? So how would you go ahead and make a nair out of a ball of clay? 
you would take the ball of clay and you would you would put your fist in there and you would you would pound out you would just uh, or knead out I should say an opening for oil and for a wick. So the Gemara Mishnah says you may not do that on Yom Tov. You may not do that on Yom Tov. Now I will say the, the reason for that is Rashi says because you are literally fashioning a utensil. Now the issue of fashioning a utensil on Yom Tov is not really one of bone, it's not really one of building, it's more what we call makebe patish, right? It's the, it's the idea of, of, of finishing something, of fashion. Again, there's a whole dispute about what makebe patish is. Is it makebe patish, one of the malachos is makebe patish, just a gem. Without getting into all of that, the point is, it's malacha, and therefore you can't do it on Yom Tov. Ve'in osin pecham Furthermore, you can't make charcoal on Yom Tov. That is actually very interesting. Rashi says over here, because the charcoal itself is considered to be a utensil as well. You're creating something. Now, what was charcoal used for? Charcoal was not used for cooking in the times of the Gemara, in the times of the Mishnah. Rather, what charcoal was actually used for was the tsarfei zahav. It was used for people who were smelting gold, smelting or forming gold. So therefore, again, you can't make charcoal on Yom Tov because also the Mishnah considers that to be the creation of an object. And you may not go ahead and cut a wick. So I'll say this would seem to be if you have, let's say, a very long piece of uh, material that you want to go ahead and use for a wick, but it's too long right now, you can't cut it down to size because in essence you are creating a new utensil as well. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, You can't cut it with a knife, but you can go ahead and what? And cut it with the fire. So we'll discuss what that means. With that. What perhaps that means is you may singe the wick in such a way that the part that you don't need burns off. So we'll see that in the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Man tana de pechisas ner manahu. Who is the opinion who holds that the creation, pechisas ner manahu, literally means the hollowing out of the ner, of the clay, to make this ner, is considered to be the creation of a utensil. Um, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Meri, it reflects the view of Rabbi Meir. What does Rabbi Meir say? Disanyo, klicheres me'emasai mekabotumah. Because the Bryce said, when does an earthly one utensil? When is it Makabotoma? You should nigmara melachto divarebi meir. So Rimeir holds as soon as you have finished working it. Rashi says, Mishnigmura Malachton, Chaki Kasam, as soon as it's hollowed out. And I will say, understand for the making of earthenware, there are two parts. There's the there's the actual creation, the hollowing out of the utensil, and there's the placing of it in a kiln or in an oven to fire it up and to harden it. Rabbi Meir holds that an earthenware item is considered to be a utensil even before it is hardened in an oven, just the act of hollowing it out by definition creates its utensil status. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, no, mishayitzrafu b'kisha. No, it's only considered to be a clean when what? When actually it's fired up in the oven, when it's forged in the oven. So both sides, it would appear that our Mishnah that says that you can't take a ball of clay and hollow it out, on Yom Tov would seem to reflect the view of Rabbi Meir, who holds that just simply the act of hollowing it out is in and of itself the creation of a kli. Only Abaye, me mind. So first Abaye says, one second, who, who, says, who says you can compare these two cases? Because remember, both sides, the Gemara is quoting over here the dinner of Rabbi Meir by, by Tumah. By Tumah. Rabbi Meir says that a kli is mekabal Tumah at the time that it's hollowed out. The Gemara is extrapolating from that. That since Rabbi Meir holds that once it's hollowed out, it's mekabal tumah, that means that what? That, that that its status as a kli occurs when it's hollowed out, and therefore our Mishnah reflects that view. Comes along Abayi says, one second, one second. How do you know to compare those things? Mimai, Dilma ad kan lo kam Rabbi Meir hasam 
So maybe here's the difference. Why does every mayor say that when you hollow out an earthworm utensil that's considered to be a kli? Because once you hollow it out, Rabbi say it has what's called the base kibble. It has a receptacle. And the primary definition of utensil is it has a receptacle. Aval, aval, l'hocha, l'maychazi. But over here by the lamp, once you hollow it out, once you hollow it out, what is it going to be used for? Rabbi say apparently you can't actually use that hollowed out piece of clay for a lamp for the simple reason that before you go ahead and forge it in fire or fire it up, so the mice, again, if you put oil in there, you know what happens? The oil will get absorbed into the clay itself. So the Gemara therefore says, the Gemara therefore says that I understand why, I buy, why, why Rabbi Meir holds that once you hollow out some tumah, because once you hollow it out, you're capable of what? Of using it as a receptacle. Therefore, that's the status of a kli. But who's to say that just because you hollow out a piece of clay, then it becomes an air? It's not even usable as an air yet. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Because you're say, once you hollow out this piece of clay, even though it's not yet usable for a, for a nair, for a lamp, you know what it is usable for? You could put your money in there, right? You could, you could put coins in there. Or in other words, again, it might not be usable yet for a lamp, but the act of hollowing out the piece of clay, you have created a significant utensil. Granted, you can't use it for your intended purpose yet, but Lamaisa, it is still a usable clay, and therefore you may not go ahead and do it on Yom Tov. Ikeda Amri, others say, Amr Rabbi Yosef. Amr Rabbi Yosef. Excuse me, Amr Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Eliezer Bar Tzadoki. That our Mishnah reflects the view of Rabbi Lazar Bar Tzadok. How do we know that? This none. Alphasin Charonios. Now we'll say, we'll see this right now. Look at Rashi. Alphasin Charonios. It's the second Y line in Rashi. Mefarish Shachaman, the Gemara will say this explicitly later on. These are Karos Shalbene Ayaros. These are the plates of simple villagers. Inon Brene Krachim Gidolim. These are people who do not live in a large city. Vein Makpidin Al Kelim Noim. And therefore, they don't really care so much about nice utensils. And what do they do? So we'll say, listen to this. So normally, when you're making a plate, so when you're making a plate, so how do you make a plate? So if you were to make a plate out of clay, the first thing you do is you'd flatten out the piece of clay, but then what would you do? So plates, remember, are not flat, right? Plates have an indentation in it. The, mi- the, middle, the middle is lower than the sides. So you would then depress... That's the right word. You would depress the middle and or, or raise the size, whatever you would do. So apparently the simple villagers, they, they weren't, they were simple individuals. So they would just simply flatten out the clay and already use that as a plate to go ahead and eat meat. Again, you obviously you can't use it for anything with liquid or with gravy, but for simple solids, they would go ahead and use it. So the Gemara says, Alphasin Charonios, that's what it's called. So these are the plates of villagers. Tahoros Boohalames, Utimeos Bemasahazov. Are what Rabbi say? If they, if if this, if this, if this villager's plate happens to find itself under the same roof as a corpse, so ultimately again, it is tahor, it is tar, but yet it is tame if it's touched or picked up or moved by a zav. What's the logic over here? Look at Rashi. Tahoros olames diligabe ohalames po inon toch likli kharas dechsev vechokli pasuach mashma diyeshlo pasach. Here's the difference. When it comes to Tumas Ohel, the Torah explicitly discusses the idea that a Kli Charis, an earthenware utensil, becomes Tameh from its inside. I.e., in order for a Kli Charis to, be, Kli Charis to become Tameh, 
tumas oil, tumas mace, it must have a receptacle. If it doesn't have a receptacle, then by definition, it does not become tummy tumas mace. On the other hand, when it comes to tumas zav, when it comes to, let's say, being touched or being carried by a zav, that is tumor that is contracted from the outside. Because it's contracted from the outside, therefore what? Therefore, it does not require a receptacle. Therefore, if you have this flat plate, it is not mekabel tumas mace, but it is mekabel tumas hazov. Okay. Rabbi Eliezer, Barav Tzadok Omer, after Horos b'masa hazov. Rabbi Eliezer, Bar Yaakov says, no, it is even tower from becoming tummy by being touched or carried by hazov. Why? Lefi shelo nigmara melachton. Because lemaisa, it is not yet complete. It is not yet a complete kli. And any object that is not yet a complete kli is not subject, cannot be makabal tumma. Look at Rashi. What do you see from here? Rabbi Lezer by Yaakov comes along and Rabbi Tzadok says, No, this plate, this flat plate, is not even makabal tumma from a zav. Why? Because the Maisa, it's not, it's not complete. Why is it not complete, Rabbi Osai? Because it has no base keyboard, because it's not been hollowed out. What do you see from here, according to Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Tzadok, that the definition of a Kli is what? Something that is hollowed out, which would seem to reflect very beautifully in our Mishnah. Because what does our Mishnah say? If you take a piece of clay on Yom Tov, and you go ahead and you hollow it out, you have created a Kli, and you're Chayif for that. This would seem to reflect the view of Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Tzadok. To which the Gemara says, Amalei Abai, Abai says, one second. So, no, no, no. Maybe here's the difference. The difference over here is that maybe Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Tzadok says, in that case, look at Rashi, So, both say it's only in a case where the object has the ability to go ahead and actually hold something that Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Tzadok would say. That, it ha- that it's a keyboard that has a base clean. But here, what is it usable for? To which the Gemara gives the same answer. It is usable in some, even though it's not usable for an air, but it's usable in some basic form to be able to go ahead and hold coins. Okay, says the Gemara. The Gemara just goes back for just a moment. We have a rice that supports this as well. You may not go ahead and hollow out a piece of clay to be used as an air on Yom Tov. Furthermore, you may not go and make these alpha sin charonios. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel matir ba alpha sin charonios, and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel allows you to go ahead and make alpha sin charonios. Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel holds that lemaisa so the alpha sin charonios do not constitute a kli because there is no depression, there is no base kibul. Therefore, he allows you to make it on Yom Tov. So the Gemara says, by the way. My charonios, what, what, exact, what does charonios mean? Amrav Yehuda Ironios. Okay. My Ironios. That's very helpful. What is Ironios? Amrabaye Tsoi Chakliosa. Tsoi means plates. Chakliosa means villagers. These are the plates of simple villagers. Ve'in osin pechamen. And now the Gemara goes on. So, okay, so now, we, now we've taken care of the first part of the Mishnah, that you may not take the ball of clay and go ahead and hollow it out. We have two different possibilities, either Rabbi Meir or Rabbi Eliezer Barab Tzodok, as to who opi- whose opinion is reflected here in the Mishnah. So now the Gemara moves on to the next case. You can't make charcoal on Yom Tov. And I will say, remember, again, the Gemara says, Pshita, that's obvious, Lamai what would charcoal be usable for? Then I will say, understand that, remember, as I mentioned in the Mishnah, 
they, they were not using charcoal to, it's clear that they did not use charcoal to cook on Yom Tov, because again, if they used charcoal to cook on Yom Tov, the Gemara would, wouldn't have said, Lemaichazi, what is it usable for? It's obviously what it's usable for. You want to grill, right? You, you, want, you want to cook on Yom Tov. So they clearly were not using charcoal for the sake of cooking. So the Gemara says, Lemaichazi, what is it usable? Now remember, Rashi and the Mishnah already pointed out that what was charcoal used for? Charcoal was used for gold working. So the Gemara says, okay, you can't work gold on Yom Tov. So obviously, you can't make charcoal on Yom Tov. Tony Rabichia, no, no, no. Lo Lamosran Luul Yorin. Now I'll tell you what it was what, what, what was used before to go ahead and make it in order to give it over Rabose Ul Yorin are the bathhouse attendants. Rashi says over the Ul Yorin, Mechamichamin Umer Khatsos, Va Afagab Dutzorek Yom Tovin Osin. So I'll say what happened? I want to make charcoal to give to the bathhouse attendants to heat up the bathhouse, which we'll see is permitted on Yom Tov. Again, unless we're going to get into the discussion about bathing on Yom Tov, we, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier already. We'll talk about it later on in this Masechta. So I want to go ahead and give it to the bathhouse attendants to heat up the bathhouse for Yom Tov. But is it permitted to go ahead and bathe on Yom Tov? Rashi says, There is a rabbinic prohibition against bathing on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Even with what? Even with water that was heated before Shabbos and Yom Tov. We saw this in the Sech Shabbos. This was what's called the Xeris Merchatz. Because remember what was happening is, originally people were bathing in water that was heated up prior to Shabbos and Yom Tov. And then what happened? The bathhouse attendants were in fact warming it up on, Yom, on Shabbos and Yom Tov. And we're claiming they did it before. Therefore the rabbis outlawed hot bathing on Shabbos and Yom Tov. So the Gemara says, so you can't, you can't do, so what, what are you doing? What do you mean you're making charcoal in order to give it over to the bathhouse attendants? The bathhouse attendants aren't allowed to warm up water on Shabbos and Yom Tov, even with, or actually this is really on Yom Tov. They're not allowed to do it on Yom Tov. To which the Gemara says, Kid Rava Lahazia. Oh, what are we talking about over here? To, for the sauna. This is not for bathing. This is for the Schwitz. The Kodem Gezerah. And they were talking about now before the Gezerah. Hachanami Lahazia Vekodem Gezerah. Look at Rashi. Lazia, Machnis Hapichamel Soho, Ubene Adam Nichnasan Mazian, Kodim Shigazra Alazea, Nishnis Mishnazu. So, we'll listen to this. So, again, apparently, even after the outlawed bathing, it was still permitted to go to the Schwitz <laughs> on Yom Tov. Therefore, Lemais, what the Gemara is talking about over here is this Mishnah was written, and then later on, they outlawed using of the sauna, usage of the sauna as well. So, the Gemara says that this Mishnah was recorded prior to that Gezeira. So, this Mishnah says that you can't go ahead and, you can't go ahead and make Pechamin, even though what? Even though technically you might have thought that what? That it would have been okay since you could have given it over to the bathhouse attendants to use to go ahead and heat up the shvitz. Kamash Malon, you can't do it because the creation of the charcoal itself is like the creation of a kli. Okay? Why, the, why couldn't the Gemara have said it was before the first Gezeira? Why did the regular Gezeira? So, because the Gemara seems to feel that there's no way this Mishnah, because the Gezeira for the Merchats was much earlier on. So the Gemara feels, I guess it's, it's just chronologically, it's more feasible that this would have been before Gezeras, before Gezeras, I guess Zeya, that's the wrong word, before Gezeras, Lahazia, then before Gezeras Merchatz, chronologically. So the Gemara says, You can't cut, you can't cut the wick into two. So remember again, the Mishnah said, Rabbi, excuse me, um, who was it? Rabbi Yehuda said, you can't cut it with a knife, but you can cut it with you can cut it with a fire. So the Gemara says, Why can't you cut it with a knife? 
Why? Because it will say because the Maisa, you are creating a utensil. The act of cutting a wick in two is creating a utensil because now you have created a functional wick. I or nami come attacking mana, but you can make the same argument even if you singe the wick in the middle and go ahead and create two independent wicks. You are also creating a new utensil. To which the Yemar says, Tani neros. Oh, what's the case of Rabbi saying? You have one long wick that you need to make into two. So if you cut it, if you cut it, it's very clear that you're, you're cre- you are actively creating something. So what's the case over here? Where you have one long piece of, of material, you place the ends each in their own nair, in their own receptacle, and what do you do? You light the middle. So when you light the middle, effectively what ends up happening is the two wicks separate, but that doesn't have the appearance that you are actively creating two new wicks. Why? Because what are you doing? As far as you're concerned, your act has the appearance of just kindling the wick. Therefore, because it doesn't have the same appearance of the, as creating something, therefore Rabbi Huda permits it. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, Rav Nasr bar Abba Amarav, Muchtin es hapsil biyomtov. You are permitted to trim a wick on yomtov. My muchtin. What does that mean to trim a wick? Amrav chinna bar shalmi yamishmedirav la adui chushcha to remove the charred part on the top. So I guess if you remove the charred part on the top, the wick will burn a little bit better. So you're permitted to do this on yomtov. Tani bar kapra vodvam nemru b'psila. There are six things that were said about a wick. Gimel lahakmer v'gimel lahakil. Three of them were stringent and three of them were lenient. So ain. So what are the three that are stringent? Ain godlin. You can't twist. I mean, you can't create a wick and You can't twist the fabric into a wick That's fashioning it. You can't singe it in the fire. These are all things, either the creation of the wick or what allows it to ultimately burn. And you can't cut a wick into two, thereby creating a wick. See, these are all three chumras that you can't do by wick because each of them effectively are creating or readying the wick for use. What, what are the kulas? You can press the wicks, meaning if it's already twisted, you could press it to make it a little bit more solid. You could soak it in oil so that it burns better. And you could, and if you have the two of uh, two ends of a long wick in two different utensils, you could singe the middle. You could you could kindle the middle and effectively make it into two different wicks. So quotes a different discussion only because it's, it, it relates to some of the opinions we quoted earlier. Rav Nosen Bar Abba said in the name of Rav The rich men of Babel are going to Gehenim. Okay, good morning. Right, so, so now, so, so I'll say, look at Rashi over here for just a moment. Yardim Gehenim Heim, She'inam Mirachamim Lasos Tzedakah. Because the rich men of Gehenna were men of means, they were, they were wealthy individuals, but they did not give tzedakah properly. So Kiha, the Gemara tells a story, an example of this. Kiha, the Shabsai Bar Merenos. Like the story of Shabsai Bar Merenos, what happened with him? Ikla Lebavel, he went to Bavel. So Rabbi say he wanted Iska. Iska means merchandise. Rabbi say what that means is Rashi says, So what, what ends up happening is, these merchants would, would take merchandise from wealthier people, they would take the, they would sell it, and they would split the profits in half. So, uh, so apparently, 
Shabzai Barmerinus cannot get any business. No one would help him in Yom Tov. Maz, excuse me, in Bavel. Mazon Namilo Zainu. So, okay, so he couldn't get business. So, if he couldn't get business, he wasn't able to make money. So, he became a shtickel destitute. So, what happened? They would, no one would help him with food. No one would give him anything to eat. Amar, Hani Me'erev Ravkasas. So, Shabzai Barmerinus makes a very strong statement. He says, these men must be the descendants of the Erev Rav. The Erev, I remember, refers to the group of Egyptians that left with the Jews when we left Egypt and ultimately, again, were the source of many problems and difficulties throughout our years in the desert. So Shabzai Bamarena says, people who are so uncharitable, people who are so unkind, they can't be really part of Klai, so they must be the descendants of the Erev Rav. And look what he says, it's actually quite beautiful. The Pasuk says over here, and HaKadosh Baruch will give you rachamim, v'nasan l'cha rachamim, v'richam cho. Right? And you will be, and he will, or I should say, v'nasan l'cha, you will give you compassion, v'richam cho, and you will be compassionate. Kol amarachim ala brios, whoever is compassionate for others, v'yadua shuhu mizaro shal avram avinu. It's such a beautiful gemara. So the hallmark of the Jewish people is compassion. If you are compassionate, if you are compassionate, then ultimately, again, that shows that you are for the offspring of Avram Avinu. And anyone who is not compassionate or empathic, it is clear that you are not from the descendants of Avram Avinu. There's a problem with your yichus. I will say, the Gemara actually has a couple of different examples of things like this, where character traits say a lot about the people. So for example, so for example the Gemara also says, people who always get angry, actually very strong. The Gemara says, people who have anger issues, the Gemara says, chances are they're mamzerim. It's actually quite, quite strong. Try, right? Try that in your next fight, right? right? So, because so, why the Gemara says, because anger is such a despicable mida, and people who have temper problems, that shows that there, there, there is a certain, what we'll call a, a yichus, or genetic imbalance within the individual. That's not the way a Jew behaves. If a person has that type of mida problem, that's a pegamin who they are. So the Gemara attributes it literally to mamzerus. Here, you're not empathic, you're not compassionate, there's something wrong with your Jewish DNA. It, it's, it's off, because it's part of our DNA from Avram Avinu to be compassionate and empathic, so therefore I must be not a descendant of Avram Avinu. So we'll say now the Gemara gets into a little bit more Agarita. Rav Nassan bar Abba said in the name of Rav, Rabbi say anyone literally who has to look to the table of another, which, which means anyone who is dependent on someone else, the world is a dark place for him. He looks around wondering, where is my bread? He knows that the day of darkness is readily at hand. So we'll say the idea that someone, who, again, this doesn't even need explanation. Someone who is dependent, no, no worse feeling than, than having to be dependent on someone else. The world becomes dark. Rav Chista says that again, it's not just a pshat that his life is a little bit difficult, but such a life is not even a life. A person comes to a point where they don't feel, they feel that this is not even a life worth living. Gimel chayehem enam chayim. Well, says actually an amazing Gemara. There are three people, literally, whose lives are not lives, meaning three people whose existence is profoundly compromised. Ve'eluhein, these are the three people. Hametzapa l'shulchan chavero, someone who has to be dependent on his friend. Literally, he looks towards his friend table. This one is interesting. Umisha ishto mosheles alov. 
someone who has an overbearing wife. Right? So a person who has an overbearing wife, again, Moshe is actually a very strong lotion that she controls him. She rules him. So someone who has, I guess, the modern day equivalent is, well, I won't say it. Okay, so, right, I have to ask my wife. 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 Come on, make a decision. Right? I have to ask my wife. So, okay, so, so someone ultimately, again, whose wife totally rules over him. And someone who experiences Physical suffering, physical suffering, right? So ultimately, again, I will say, so again, physical suffering also, which is quite interesting. We know a person physically suffers, it overtakes the entirety of their existence. The is actually very interesting, and there are others who add a fourth. Someone who only has one shirt. And I will say, what's the issue with someone who only has one shirt? So Rashi points out, chances are it'll become infested with lice. Because it'll become infested with lice, again, ultimately, this makes a person's life exceptionally difficult. The Tanakama, I, why doesn't the Tanakama include the one shirt person in his list? Because at the end of the day, you can always examine your clothing and go ahead and delouse it. Okay, says the Mishnah. Let's, let's at least just take a quick look. We'll do the Mishnah, then we'll have to stop. You cannot go ahead. You can't. Also, what the Gemara is talking about over here is when, they used to, when you used to roast a piece of fish or cook a piece of fish over the fire, apparently, again, you can't cook fish directly on the metal because it'll burn the fish. So what they used to have to do is they used to have to put some, something between the fish and the actual piece of metal over which they were cooking it. So, for example, what, what would they do? They would often take a pottery shard, or for that matter, they take a piece of, uh, of paper. It doesn't literally mean paper over here. It can mean parchment. It can mean, it can mean a, a piece of flattened-out reed. But they would take something so you can't go ahead and break you can't go ahead and break cheres. you can't break an earthenware utensil and you can't go ahead and cut a piece of paper to go ahead and to, and to to literally to roast a piece of fish on top of it and the logic behind that is because the act of breaking the utensil the act of going ahead and cutting the piece of cutting the piece of paper, ultimately, again, is the fashioning of it, of it into a kli. You can't go ahead and clean out. Tanavikiraim also means you can't clean out an oven. You know what, actually, we're going to stop over here. We're going to pick up with the Mishnah and Yerza Hashem tomorrow. Um, we're going to start the daf at 545 tomorrow. It's the only way to, uh, to get through all of this. So we'll let them continue on Monday. So tomorrow we begin 545 with the Mishnah.